This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Guy Jeans. And today's guest, Rob Snow White from the Washington, D.C. metro area. He has the longest running fly fishing podcast on iTunes. It's been around a while. I was just on it. Pretty awesome. Super funny guy. And he's also a fly fishing guide. He guides stripers, American shad, snakehead, brook trout, rainbow trout, brown trout, smallmouth and largemouth bass and carp. And I'm excited to have him on the podcast and love to learn all about his area where he guides in the D.C. metro area and in northern Virginia. Let me see if I can get him on the phone. Rob. How are you, guy? How's it going, buddy? Not too bad. Just hanging out in blustery, cold northern Virginia today. Wow, man. I know I, I introduced you on the podcast in uh, Washington, D.C., metro area, northern Virginia area. And um, excited to learn all about your area and what you do up there. And all the people out here out west can come go fishing with you. Um, yeah, it's quite the diverse fishery. And at some point, everyone comes through town, whether you're on a business trip or visiting as a student or going to museums. Yeah. It's very accessible. I've, I, I'm going to tell you about um, my trip to D.C. too, and uh, we get we get into that. But you just went on a fishing trip, didn't you? I did. I drove about six and a half, seven hours north to Lake Ontario for the Salmon River. It's a wild fishery. It's a tailwater. So unlike the other rivers around the Great Lakes, it doesn't freeze up when it gets cold. And it's been stocked with kings and cohos and steelhead and Atlantic salmon for a very long time. And those, and, and those things just keep coming back. They go in and out. Is that right? They do. The salmon eventually, they've got a ticking time bomb of life. So they die. And unfortunately, it was 72 degrees up there, and you can smell all the rotting salmon. And oh nothing God. evolved to eat them up there. There's no bears. The raccoons don't come out. Maybe a seagull or two, but it's just rotting salmon everywhere. Oh, no. And then the eelheads swim up to eat all the eggs, eat the rotting flesh. And then as those salmon are building the reds, they're kicking up all the gravel, sending everything from helgramites, mayflies, stoneflies downriver. Wow. It's a fish and bug producing river. It just gets very crowded. It gets crowded. Now, do the yeah. is there brown trout in there doing the same thing, getting, eating the eggs and 
doing all that too in the I was surprised. I didn't see a single brown this year. Usually you can get into browns that are eighteen to thirty inches long. Yeah. I landed browns that we thought were king salmon until we put them in the net. Wow. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's a pretty wild place. And then being right on the Great Lakes, they get crazy snow. I know you probably get some snow in the higher Sierras yeah. very heavily, but they're supposed to get three feet of snow in, yeah. in the area where I was fishing just today. There's a ban on tractor trailers, I think, on the interstate. Wow. Because of the wind. You know, um, I was watching a video of you on your on your YouTube channel, the Rob Snow White YouTube channel. And it looked like you do a lot of like you do it yourself type stuff where you just crash in your truck or car or something and just kind of, kind of trout bum it kind of a way. Is that true? It is. I love being a dirt bag. Even though I stayed in the fancy lodge, I made sure to go up a night early to sleep in my car. <laughs> I love car. Right I lived in my car in Colorado when I worked at Breckenridge Outfitters for four and a half months, one year. That was fun except there'd be mountain lions and bears outside right and i still do it here I, I sleep fantastic in my car it's cozy and if there's a rainstorm or snowstorm it's even more cozy yeah and that way you can just get up and, and go fish exactly yeah i'm with you on that for sure sleep in my truck quite a bit open the door and hop out in some places so what's his and, and- oh go ahead Walmart parking lots and Cracker Barrels. You can always car camp there. <laughs> right. So, so you you have a, a guide service as well, correct? I do. I used to work in fly shops around here, and people were always coming in and asking for me to take them out. So I started taking people out, and then I just decided to quit corporate life and try something new. Mm-hmm. And I, I take people out. My job is to teach people to catch fish they're going to, throw back <laughs> i know i saw that on your website that's awesome <laughs> yeah you don't really want to eat both the fish out of the potomac yeah i want to talk about all that as well that's very, yeah. very interesting to me so you guide on the potomac um where else do you guide what other little There's bodies of water local urban lakes and ponds around here most notably is burke lake it's about 10 minutes from here it's got walleye musky Huge largemouth, gizzard shad. It's now full of snakeheads. It's also full of tilapia, big bluegill. And it was the original site for Dulles Airport. So this giant swath of woods was cleared, which is basically the runway. And they decided not to build it there, so they just filled it in with water. It's the most heavily fished place in Virginia. Wow. So it's a little challenging. And then four-mile run is the water treatment plant tidal stream that we fish year-round. The water's 65 degrees. When everything else, you know, is cold or too hot, it's always perfect. Always 65, huh? Pretty much, 55, 60 degrees. It's as clear as a swimming pool. You can see fish 50, 60 feet away. How fun. Airplanes and helicopters, just like everywhere else you fish around here. There's a lot of air traffic. And then we go down right by the airport. You can land it at Reagan National. It's your local. It's just National Airport. And you can walk five minutes north and swing flies for stripers. That's so cool, man. There's a lot of variety going on for sure. It, it's all I, I do the urban fishing. So you can park, walk in. There's uh-huh. always a 7-Eleven nearby. There's always a clean bathroom. 
We're <laughs> relatively close in where people, my clients meet me on the way to work or on the way home from work. We're not doing anything two, three hours west into the mountains. It's all, it's all right inside the beltway mostly. Wow. Very cool. So are you fishing smallmouth in some of these areas? That's kind of one of my favorite fish for sure. Other than when we're fishing the shad run, uh-huh. you really have no idea what you're going to get into. It can be any of 20 species from smallmouth, the largemouth, the striped bass, the spotted bass, walleye, different types of carp, musky, bluegill. All these fish were dumped in the Potomac after the Civil War. You ended up having a bunch of amputees and other soldiers that were from way up north that grew up on cold farms in the winter. And they just didn't want to go back. Mm. And the catfish, the carp, and all the bass, large and smallmouth, were dumped in in the 1860s. And then recently, the most recent one, I guess, would be the snakeheads about 16 years ago. And 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 anything can bite. So you always have to have a rod and a line ready to, you know, a 60-pound catfish could eat your fly that you're targeting white perch with that are the size of the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. And then you can hook a white perch and have a 40 pound striper eat it. Yeah. Awesome. It's pretty wild. You really don't know what you're going to get when we're targeting shad, we're shad fishing, but 30% of the fish are going to be something else. And when two guys caught a surgeon last summer, we were a little baffled. And then someone always catches a rainbow trout during the shad run in DC odd it's brackish water in in are are we talking the potomac yeah so the potomac starts at fairfax stone in west virginia it's a big rock i've been there and just this little trickle of water comes out and then it goes through the mountains and that's the upper potomac and then once you get to maybe harper's ferry it becomes the middle potomac river the middle potomac goes all the way to the fall line which is little falls in dc and the man-made structure is Chain Bridge. And then from there down, it's the tidal to lower Potomac, and that reaches the ocean. And the, the, I, I think the Potomac that I saw in around D.C., it was, it was pretty wide going across there. Is that right? Yeah, quite wide and quite yeah. shallow. And shallow. Up above D.C., it's 180 feet, but around D.C., I think it was maybe Captain America or Wolverine. One of them was pulled out of the river in one of the movies. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. That water's crystal clear and 30 feet deep. But that's not here. Okay. I want, I want to keep talking about the Potomac. So I got uh, invited by uh, Trout Unlimited here in California to go back to Washington, D.C. and lobby for the, the Kern River and some other stuff, right? And so I uh, get off the plane and I'm met by the Trout Unlimited guys. And then we... Uh, we head over to the, the Capitol and we're, you know, meeting all these um, Congress people and senators and stuff like that. And then we go, oh, it's time for lunch. We go downstairs underneath the Capitol. And uh, these guys, of course, are, are fly fishermen. And they're all, do you want to see the flies we use in the Potomac? And I'm like, absolutely. And I had no idea how they got them through security, but they did. But we uh, were sitting there at the table underneath the Capitol and I think the reason why they got them through the the uh, metal detectors because there was no metal. It was just uh, it was just like uh, rags or something. Rope, yeah, <laughs> nylon. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the problem with that is 
you know, you're only going to get a gar. But if you're yeah. fishing a clouds or minnow made out of that, everything else in the river can eat it. So we've gone gar fishing, but caught four pound largemouth and eighteen pound catfish. Uh huh. That's why I always have hooks on them. Right. I right. may be one of the only people that really commercially ties hooked gar flies. <laughs> and a lot to the south. That's a species I, I've never caught. I'd love to catch one of those. Um, like a three-foot bluegill. You just put it, if they're eating, they're going to eat it. That sounds so fun, man. That sounds really they're, cool. Gills are sharp. So you got to be careful holding them. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So tell and me, tell me. Oh, go ahead. Sometimes when the Potomac floods and you got like a good moon phase and a westerly wind, the water will come up on the sidewalks in D.C. in the springtime. And we have video of playing four-foot-long carp in knee-deep water in grass with garbage cans nearby and fences and, <laughs> awesome. and those rental scooters just sitting there. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can catch we caught carp and snakehead on flooded sidewalks by the Jefferson Memorial. That is funny. That is yeah, funny. So the gar come right up on there and, and spawn in late May. And you can target them. If they're spawning, they're not going to eat. But if they break off, you might get one. So uh, how big do those gar get? Biggest I've caught is like four and a half feet. And that was on a size 10 damselfly. Oh, no way. I was on my phone with my rod in my armpit and I was talking to a client that I was going to meet later that afternoon down the river and this giant rostrum beak just came up and ate it. And I just said, got to call you back, hung up, set the hook. And I was into my backing and there's a picture of me with probably 30 people. Uh-huh. And that's in the tidal basin where the cherry trees are. It's a <laughs> phenomenal fishery, but it's full of tourists. Yeah. You got to watch your back cast. <laughs> you do. It's a lot of roll casts in there. I use the Orvis bank shot shooting head so I can roll cast just right along the shoreline. Uh-huh. It's a man-made pond with a cement sidewalk, and it fills up and drains every six hours. And there's no real current, so lots of little fish end up in there, and then the big fish follow them. Wow. So it fills it's right it, by the monument. And it fills up, and then it, and it goes back out, kind of like with the tide kind of a thing? Yeah, so there's the Washington Channel, where hopefully if you get to D.C., that's where the anthem is. It's the new music venue. And that's where the fish markets were back in the day, and they would throw all the scraps in, and it would just sit there. And when it drained, so they dug out this big four-leaf clover-looking pond, and that would fill up with the tide, and then it exits the other side and that water flushes out the Washington channel. Whoa. Interesting. Super interesting. Tell yeah, there's, me, there's tell, a lot of, it's a lot of cool stuff going on. Tell me. Yeah. What, you really don't get bored fishing around here. And that's the motto of my fishing club is fish where you are, not where you want to be. What's, what's the name of the fishing club? We are the tidal Potomac fly rotters. We're a uh, affiliate of the, I guess it's International Federation of Fly Fishers now. Uh-huh. And we do casting church the second Sunday of the month. Second Monday of the month, we do beer tie. We were the first group to <laughs> nice. promote hanging out at bars, tying flies. We probably had a little over two dozen people nice. last Monday night. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like that. Beer tie. That's great. And you never know who's going to show up because in D.C. you'll have personalities from cable news networks to professional athletes to 
Love business it. people passing through. So we'll have people that are just in town that weekend and they'll just show up to beer tie. And they're like, this is really cool. That is cool. Tell me about the snakehead. What's that all about? The snakehead were first introduced in Crofton Pond in 04 in Maryland. And if you're in D.C., you drive 50 west towards Annapolis and if you're on the north side. And then a couple years later, so those were eradicated. That's when the Frankenfish movies came out and all the stories about these fish are going to walk on land and they're going to eat your cats and they're going to bite your children. It's, <laughs> that's all made up. But I, somebody dumped them in the Potomac around Doe Creek, which is just next to or adjacent to Mount Vernon. And they pretty much spread everywhere through the tidal water within years. They're proficient feeders. They grow five pounds their first year. Wow. And they do up to 300,000 young, possibly three times a year. Whoa. They are all over the place, and they are enormous. You don't really see six, seven inches. You see the three-footers, and they breathe air like a turtle. Wow. You could just be on your boat or standing on a bridge at the tidal basin, somewhere along the river. All of a sudden, it looks like this log floats up, and then it makes eye contact with you. It goes to the surface, opens its mouth, takes a gulp, and then just turns and goes back down and blows a couple of bubbles. Wow, what a trip. You've never seen a fish breathing air. It's really weird. And when I see they make eye contact, a bass, a bluegill, a shadow steelhead, it's a dead eye. They're not looking at you. A snakehead is looking at you. It, it knows you're about <laughs> to hit it in the head with a rock or a baseball bat. Wow. And if you try to cast at them, they immediately turn and go back down. So you see them coming up to breathe and you just don't move. And you try to do a little flip cast. It'll be right under your toe. And then some guy with a giant treble hook on a saltwater rod is going to run up and try and snag it. Okay. You've got three types of fisheries. You've got bow fishermen that go out at night with huge LEDs. They were always blasting music, and they shoot them. Mm -hmm. And they sell them up to $5 a pound to what then goes to the fish market. Then you've got the conventional and fly anglers who are catching them. And then you've got the snaggers. Okay. And the snaggers just have these huge treble hooks. They would, what you would see on swamp people, if they were going to snag an alligator. <laughs> and then yeah. most recently we were out and we saw guys with spear guns. Wow. Like old school, 1970s, James Bond spear guns. <laughs> and we were in the middle of a swamp, probably two miles from the closest paved road. And it was five guys just standing in the swamp with no boat, I have no idea where they came from. And two of them were noodling in the water, which I've also never seen. Hmm. And the snakehead are $100 on the black market, which is what the snaggers are doing. And then the ones that are shot by the bow hunters, those get sold to grocery stores for like $15 a pound commercially caught fish. What? That's, that's, that's crazy. And you can't kill them. They can, you can drive... I could catch one and drive it to you in the trunk of my car, and it would still be breathing when I got there, just in the trunk. <laughs> Put it in the bathtub and swim around. <laughs> they, they don't need water. They used to ship them from China in cardboard boxes. What a trip, man. And as soon as you pull them out of the water, they drip line. And it's this mucosal coating that just protects them from you know, adverse conditions. Cause they don't mind their back sticking out of water. They'll yeah. move in and out with the tide, but if they get stuck, 
they'll just sit in a tide pool with, you know, their, their mouth sticking out and they can just breathe. Nothing's messing with a 30 inch snakehead around here. Whoa. So are they They're crazy looking? They got loads of teeth on them. They've got stings on the roof of their mouth. So they're just bizarre. Oh, they're, it's white flaky meat. I don't eat fish. Yeah. But everyone loves them. Everybody loves them. People say it's the best eating fish you're going to come across. So what, what's the deal with them in uh, like the, the fisheries and stuff? Are they, are they considered like a viable uh, game fish now or, or are they kind of considered? Yeah, a, they don't have game fish status. You're uh-huh. allowed to, there's no limit. You can kill as many as you want. Uh-huh. You cannot snag or shoot them in D.C. from land. You can do it from a boat. So you've got to go sort of outside D.C. and you'll see people snagging them and shooting them in other places. Um, yeah, there's no limit. You can pretty much do what you want. You're not supposed to put them back. And people will catch them and then dump them in places like Burke Lake. So you have a smaller body of water where they can be more easily harvested. Mm-hmm. So they spread through bucket biologists to all the lakes and ponds. And then when you have a massive flood, you have all the fresh water go out of the Chesapeake Bay. So they'll swim with that, and then they can go to the left or right following the fresh water along the coast, and then just go up the next river. So they're in the Rappahannock. They're in the Patuxent. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Are they a nuisance or to you know some of the other, like the smallmouth and the no. and stripers or anything like that? They mostly eat killifish, which is, four inch long little minnow they will eat other things some shad mm-hmm. herring bluegill but if anything is going to do all the damage it would have been the largemouth bass put in here in the 1860s I mean, you live in california you know those things will eat anything yeah i grew up hearing stories about how you guys would use rainbow trout for bait oh there's, yeah was, they're still doing that big time right here on yeah, my they lake did that, yeah they did that in pennsylvania too for stripers yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not really doing a whole lot. You always bump into misinformed anglers that tell you how they're invasive and they're eating everything, and it's mm-hmm. not true. They're not invasive. They're declared non-native with potential to be invasive. Uh-huh. So they will take over, but they found their own niche, and they're in the same place a largemouth bass are going to be, under a dock, next okay. to a, a log, under shade. So we go out bass slash snakehead fishing. Same flies, you get one of either, you never know. But you're definitely not going to catch a snakehead very often. Okay, so I've only caught nine or ten maybe. So let's say you catch one, what's the deal? You you got to be careful of those teeth, so, sounds like. Yeah, so I carry pliers. Uh-huh. And the last one my client caught, we hit it eight times in the head with a rock, <laughs> and then a, a bystander stabbed it with a pocket knife and it was still flopping. So the easiest way to kill them I found is you just put them in a trash bag and uh-huh. just take all the air out and suffocate them. Uh-huh. Because hitting them doesn't always work. You can cut their head off. That's just messy. Yeah. But you can hit them with an aluminum baseball bat and it, it'll bounce off. Wow, what a trip. That is one solid skull. I've yeah. never tried. We always knock on it and it just <laughs> sounds like you're hitting some hollow wooden box. It's, it's bizarre. And then you always want to carry a trash bag if you're taking them home because of that slime factor. Oh, I bet, huh? It's like getting slimed in Ghostbusters. So, <laughs> so are you guys 
are you pretty much always taking them out when you guys go out or are you guys yeah. you're, you're okay because you, you're supposed There's, to you are you it's so gonna, many neighbors that want to eat them oh copy yeah, i okay. have a list of probably 20 people deep i'm like we get one maybe every two years so you guys have to wait I saw a picture. The one place, okay. There's two places you could go to catch them, but they're, it's not fishing. There's a man-made pond called Huntley Meadows Park with a boardwalk, and you can walk around and touch them. They're right under the boardwalk. If you don't have polarized glasses, you know, the normal people walk by and don't see them. If you got your hostess on, you see it's infested. And then there's a national park pond called Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, and it's man-made ponds. And it's full of them. And my daughter and I went out there in June and we did one false cast and I got yelled at by a park ranger. <laughs> I saw a picture of you holding one of those things. Um, I think it's on your website. It looks like you're at a park or something or like a park lake. That's the Jefferson Memorial. Is it? And that Is it? one ate a size 10 stone fly. And then it wrapped the tippet around the rod tip and broke it. And it was just sitting there. There's a YouTube video. And I just ran up and kicked it in the face with my boot and stunned it, <laughs> grabbed it, and just threw it on shore. Uh-huh. That thing it looks, was that, crazy. That thing looks gnarly, man. They're it's just, like a sea serpent. Yeah, that's what exactly the what it looks like. The colors on them are yeah. weird. Yeah. They look like a three-foot-long anaconda. Yeah, that's a trip. Are they, they fight good? Uh, yeah. Yeah? They, they, they tug pretty good, huh? They do. And the last time I got into them, they had found a man-made barrier on this river, and they were all stuck with gar. Now, they were hungry. You could just throw anything in front of them, and they would eat it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. <laughs> and I think I was going to take home a couple, but I'm in my water master, and I'm like, how am I going to transport these three-foot-long fish downriver? <laughs> uh, you know, it was 100 degrees out, but this is not going to work. How fun. So you actually, you got, you actually like float around in some of the local lakes, but you also float the, you float the Potomac? I do. So, so I don't, fun. I've got a drift boat, but I don't take it out on the main Potomac. Upriver, it's just way too many rocks in the non-tidal section. And then once you get to the tidal section, there's yachts, speedboats, fast boats, jet skis. Okay. There's all types of huge weight and i'm in a drift boat with a nine horsepower i don't like being on that quarter mile wide river but up river i will take out the water master right above the fall line um, it's sort of the dead end of the snakehead they can't get above little falls dam and okay. you've got all these rocky pools and i went maybe last summer out there my water master and i couldn't find anything I did find a, uh, a kayak that had washed down in a flood, an $800 kayak that was way up in the woods. Nice score, you man. You could just see where, yeah, sold it for 500 bucks. <laughs> I love that. That's right. the thing. You find so much weird things out here fishing because it's such an urban area. Either things that washed down or left by other anglers. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just went, uh, you know, we kind of have a, a trade, you know, where they, they took some of the, California steelhead and put them up in your area. Well, they, they took some of the, apparently some of the stripers from your area and put them over here in California in this place called the California Delta. And yeah. Was that yeah. And, um, I just went, I was just up there this last weekend, uh, uh fishing for the largemouth and the stripers. And, 
man, what a fishery that has turned into up there. Um, it's just a, an amazing area to catch um, stripers, not only in the rivers, but in the in the kind of the delta kind of brackish type water. And yeah, uh, it's so fun. fun it's a, it's so fun, man. And, you know, those guys were, you know, came from where you guys are. And, and I, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, your stripers and also the, the shad that you guys um, have there. Cause I, I, from what I understand too, the shad that we have in those uh, river systems were also from your guys's area. Um, Definitely. So and I'm, just I'm, like the history books you read as a kid where they said, uh, like John Smith could just put a frying pan in the river and scoop out fish. That's what the shad run is like. Oh, really? There are that many fish in the river. I want to talk to you. So, about, I want to talk yeah, to you about, like, the, uh, talk to you about that, but also the flies, you know, that it's so funny. The, uh, shad, flies are so colorful and bright, you know, um, I saw some of your, your videos, um, on some of your, your tying the shad flies and stuff and they're, you know, pinks and chartreuse and, and, and they do the same thing, um, in the Northern California area too, for the, for the, um, American shad. And why is that? Why are they so bright? Why do they like that so, so the much? Theory, theory is they're, they're open, open water spawners, not like uh, a salmonid or a, a centrarchid sunfishes. They're not making a net. So they're out in the water. Female releases her eggs. Males fertilize them. But behind them are all these minnows eating their eggs. Mm. So just like a salmon would go after and chase down a fly because it's all hopped up on hormones and aggressive, and it doesn't have hands, it's got to bite it. So shad chase flies and bite them, presumably out of aggression. The hickories may eat some minnows, but they're both basically filter feeders. They're ocean-going, centivorous, schooly fish. And then every spring they come up by the millions, and you just throw something in front of them. You could honestly just throw like a size six woolly bugger; it would work. Yeah. But I like bright-colored flies with short tails because if they're biting them in the tail just to move them, yeah, they might bite the tail part and not the hook. Yeah. A lot of them are size four and size six nymph hooks. And it's fun to come up. Every year I try to come up with something different, colorful and shiny. Mm -hmm. And plus the water is just so murky and green that you want to be able to see them take the fly. And when I'm standing elevated above my clients, it's just silver flashes everywhere on a good day. Okay. These fish will move 10 feet out of their way to bite your fly. And they're ocean going with four tails. So they all fight and jump and, pull your line out. Sounds fun. It's just, it's crazy how many fish are down there and the herring, you can no longer take them. So they've really come back. There's no commercial fishing or you can't scoop them up and use them for striper bait. And when the herring are in, you're foul hooking them almost every cast and you can feel them bumping your fly line as they swim upstream. (laughs) The client will stand on a rock and will have a single school of herring go by them for four to six hours straight and never see the same fish twice. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Wow. And then all the birds are there. You've got 
Ospreys, Cormorants, Blue Herons, Terns. I think swans down there. Everything is eating all these fish. It's in the middle of the city, and it's just full of life. And then the stripers come up to eat them all. (laughs) And they're spawning as well. Yeah, You've got this narrow section of river where you can access from shoreline or personal watercraft or bring a boat up from downstream. And the bigger the fly you want to throw, the bigger the fish you can get. So down deep, you can get up to 50-pound stripers. And that's where the 100-pound catfish are. Mm -hmm. Who knows what else? And it's the simplest fishery. Clouser minnow is really all you need for stripers around here. Like a chartreuse and white one? Yeah. Uh Everything in our river eats other fish or bites other fish, from carp to tilapia to trout to muskie. Your fly choice isn't that important. And there's no technique to getting shad. As long as your fly's out there, you can get them on the swing, the dead drift. Sometimes when you go to roll cast, they'll hit your fly. They'll hit it when it lands on the water. They hit it on a fast drift. They'll hit it on a slow strip. You can just drop your line in, count to five, and then pop your rod tip, and you can have an 18-inch fish. But you're probably going to have to fight on the reel. Sounds amazing. Sounds super fun. Yeah. Right, right in, what's so crazy, it's right there in, in the city, right? Yeah, the amount of people that drive over that bridge every day having no idea what's going on below is amazing. <laughs> and people can stop on their way into work. They can take off early or take a lunch break and fish with me. Or I can get people on their way home from work. Awesome. And there's, I mean, there's millions of people driving by. And not that many anglers stop and get out. So have you had any, uh, any uh, kind of well-known people that you've taken out down in that zone? Yeah. Get out some, some political people, uh-huh. professional athletes. I had one client used to pay, play for the Capitals, but then he went to the KHL. One woman who was a professional soccer player for the Freedom. Uh-huh. A lot, a lot of people, you turn on the news and you'll see them. A lot of cable news people. Um, who else? How cool, man. Yeah, you get, and the thing is, it's a lot of transient people. They come in for administrations or they're here for grad school. Right. So all sorts of fascinating people come through that are here for a couple of months or a couple of years and then take off. I have people from all over the world that fish with me or people that just come through DC for the week. It's, it's interesting. I get to hear about a lot of fascinating things. Some of my clients, uh, you know, are cabinet work for cabinet members or are the chief director of something for some kind of federal organization. You'll see them on the news. I see them testifying in front of Congress that, uh, all sorts of events. It's pretty wild. I'm like, oh, I know that person. So it sounds like I, I was looking on your website. It sounds like you do like, instead of doing like a half day or a full day, you like charge by the hour because it sounds like some people just have maybe an hour to fish or a couple hours to fish because they're in yeah, the train that's or something. Yeah, that's where the fly fishing consultant part came in. I used to be a federal consultant. I got paid by the hour. So I think yeah. everyone's super busy. Everyone is way over scheduled here with their kids, their jobs, their schools and events and work. And I can get, I can be at the sad spot sitting right under chain bridge, have someone come in, fish for three hours, take off, 
And then someone walks down and meets me that's on their lunch break for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. They take off. I could take a little nap. And then <laughs> someone comes down and fishes for two or three hours after work. So I could sit in the same spot, get tips three different times, yeah. and earn a day's salary. Sweet. Not have to really move. Love Sometimes I, you know, I'll do a, a, a loop around a lake. It takes three or four hours, drop someone off, put another group in, do another loop around the lake. Nice. So I, yeah, I came up with fish by the hour because not everyone has the time yeah. to do full hours or the tide might not line up. You might only get two good hours and yeah. then you got slack tide. Yeah. Very so cool. It fits into people's busy schedules. It just means I'm, I might be in two or three spots in a single day. Mm-hmm. Very cool, man. I love it. Yeah. So, so back And it's to- wild. We can do stock trout. We can do the river. I meet people for all sorts of things. So back to the uh, the stripers in the American chat. I just want to get like the time frame on that. When when does that happen? Is it springtime when they're in, or is it year round for um, like the stripers or just a, just the a... stripers? So we have what are called residential stripers that just move up and down the river all year. Uh-huh. The ones that spawn here are the ones that winter around Georgia when they move up to spawn. The ones that probably winter here. Then they move up to New England uh, for their summer. So there's like the migration up the coast. And then the ones in New England, they're now going up into Canada. Wow. Wasn't previously seen, but the water's warmer up there. So you've got different migrations that go up and down. But the, So you, have, you can go out and catch striper year-round, but the big ones are going to be in the springtime. Those are the, the big cows that people get up at 4 in the morning to go stand in line to rent boats for. And you used to get a lot more when you were allowed to take the herring and use them for bait. Uh-huh. I personally don't get into them. We got one 30-incher two years ago. Mostly they're 6 to 18 inches. Okay. And then the springtime is only shad. So they come in mid to late March, and then they're gone usually Memorial Day. People caught them in July. But I tell people, if you're coming to D.C. for shad, Last two weeks of April, first two weeks of May. It's warmer. They do better when the water's hot. If you got a cold spring, the fish are just sluggish. They can't metabolically spawn below 54 degrees. I think their eggs can't be fertilized. You can go out and catch three or four in a day when the water's 50, or you wait a couple weeks and you can get one in every cast uh-huh. when the water's 75 degrees. And as the season progresses more, Fish show up, more small stripers, more white perch, more herring. And then the river's just, it just looks like it's raining bowling balls. There's quillback, the weird-looking fish. They jump out of the water a foot or two at a time. The gar popping on the surface. But the shad is like the real traditional fishery in D.C. It's now the D.C. state fish. Oh, okay. It's the official fish. There's an actual shad mascot person that does special <laughs> events in DC. I keep trying to get them to go to the bar. That's awesome. And they kids will raise shad fry and release them like trout in the classroom. But they do baby shad. Very cool. And yeah, there's just this whole unique old school fishery down at a place called Fletcher's Cove. And it's right in Georgetown. It's not the easiest to get to with a car. Easier if you're on a bike or, or on the Sino Canal. That's the main fishing spot, Fletcher's Cove. 
It's been the hot spot for 160, 70 years now. The problem is it's filling in with sediment. You can't get the rental boats out of the cove. Uh-huh. Some knucklehead in the 70s when they dug all the metro tunnels, they put all that dirt above Fletcher's Cove on the ground. Uh-huh. And in the last 30 years, it's just been washing down with all of our new floods we get constantly. And yeah, they have to go in there at low tide and manually dig it out to get rental boats. They're little wooden dories. They're real rickety. The anchor is just hemp rope with a rock. And people will go out and just fish all day from them. Sounds fun. What about uh, carp? Have you gotten into the carp thing pretty good? I can't find carp around here. In the canal? Uh The canal goes from D.C. to Hancock, Maryland. And they're in the Sino Canal. And you're elevated on the towpath where the donkeys used to walk. So you can look down and see carp, but you've got all the fallen trees in there. You've got overhanging trees on the canal. Then you've got the brush between the towpath and the water. And then all the people on bikes and scooters and jogging behind you. It's fun, but it's very stressful. The lakes around here, I can't ever find. Interesting. Carp. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I usually, don't know where they are. wonder if the snakehead's got them. <laughs> I don't know. When the river floods and goes on the sidewalk, you'll see schools of 20 carp at a time. Oh, yeah. And I throw basically a rubber-legged Jumbo John stonefly at them, and that's what they eat. Interesting. It works for me. Interesting. Yeah, we got uh, we got a, a really amazing uh, carp fishery out here, too, in, in Lake Isabella, where I'm at in the spring. It's a yeah, lot of I'd fun. probably want to go after carp and forget the eight pound largemouth and the trout around there. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Carp fishing is just fun. It's super fun. And it's a novel thing. I used to go to Ohio in my former life a lot and I would fish the rivers in Columbus, in the Columbus area. But I don't go there anymore. Um, but I was able to get carp there. I found carp in Colorado, mm-hmm. not in Northern Virginia. Interesting. Okay, so... What about, you've talked about all these other species. Um, what about your, your trout fishing in, in, uh, in and around there? There's, there's some good trout fishing in that zone too, plus the native brook trout. Do. Brook trout, yeah. So an hour east is the Chesapeake Bay saltwater. An hour west is the Blue Ridge Mountains. And once you get to the base of those mountains, it's native brook trout all the way up the mountains to the north and all the way south to Georgia. Pretty much any large stream coming off the top of those mountains will have a brook trout. It's basically blue lining. You don't really need waders, and yeah. they're not specific on flies. There's a pattern called a Mr. Rapidan. It was invented by Harry Murray, the famous author and, and uh, instructor in Edinburgh, Virginia. And imagine a Catskill-style fly, but an olive with bright yellow, like big bird yellow posts on top. You can just see it from far away. Perfect, and yeah. It's an amazing fly. You really don't need anything other than a Mr. Rapidan or a Royal Wolf up there. And a little pocket water, and there's roads and trails along most of them. I prefer to park at the bottom, fish my way up, and then hike back down to my car. Uh-huh. Big fish might be 10 to 11 inches. Mm-hmm. They're all jewels. You'll get mm-hmm. these old male brook trout that are six inches long with gnarly teeth and canines on them. <laughs> I mean, I, who knows how old they are? 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then what about like uh, brown trout and stuff uh, in those streams? Are they Mossy, Yeah, Mossy Creek. So you would go an hour west to Front Royal and then go an hour south on Route 81. And in the town of Bridgewater, there's this beautiful limestone stream that goes through pastures. And it's stocked in sections by the Commonwealth of Virginia. And then you've got like Mossy Creek Fly Shop that also has private sections. And it just produces monster brown. My biggest out of there is like five pounds. Dang. The public section is really hard to fish. There's so many, it's like English fishing. It's all weeds. But at night, all the mayflies come off and you can see where the trout are feeding. Mm-hmm. The summer, it's beetles. In the winter, it's streamers. Mm-hmm. And then Pennsylvania, you can go do all the classic central limestone streams. And I'm looking at my books right here. I've got like this yeah. marinero. George Harvey, what the trout said, all these uh-huh. books about the limestones of South Central PA. Then you've got the famous ones like Penn's Creek and the Little Juniata that just produce monsters. Yeah, I, and you've got I, Western I Maryland. There's some tailwaters. Uh huh. So within one to two hours, you could you can do stripers and smallmouth in the same day. I love it. I'm into that, man. I love all the different species. How far are you yeah, from? I, how far are you from? Uh, like Pennsylvania streams, like the little Juniata and Penn's Creek and all that. Those are about three hours. And okay. my neighbor Todd's brother has a place up there. And I keep waiting for the invite for yeah. Penn's Creek, but the South yeah. central streams there two hours away, uh-huh. maybe not too far. And if I go, I'm usually leaving early in the morning. I used to go up there a lot more when I was single before I was a dad. And gas was 89 cents a gallon. I had this little two-door Honda Accord that I could just zip up there super quickly, fish for a couple hours, and be back by dinner. Um, There's one stream called the Yellow Breaches where everyone's going to catch fish. It's well-stocked. There's native fish. There's red-eyed rock bass. And it's limestone. It's ice cold all year. Super easy to fish. That's where I used to do a lot of streamer fishing my youth very cool yeah and then you can go up to jersey you can go down to the carolinas not not too bad around here to be an angler yeah man you guys got a lot of water to explore for sure yeah three five and eight is all you need perfect so i wanted to um i'm going to go through some questions i want to uh, ask you kind of like what you did to me at the end of your podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the the rod on the shoulder <laughs> i was kidding oh. <laughs> your pet peeve um yeah i put one on my shoulder to <laughs> hold a net for somebody in new york during the healing waters event uh, but i was like nope i'll just pop it on shore <laughs> so uh a couple of things wh- that i want folks to know is like how can people listen to your uh longest running podcast you can find it on itunes Mm-hmm. And then it's also on Waypoint TV. There's some older ones. Before I was on Waypoint, I would upload them to YouTube. So there's audio, but no video on there. Okay. Yeah, and my last name really is Snow White. We're thinking it was maybe Ellis Island. It could have been something like Schneeweiss, and they just translated it. So that is my real <laughs> last name. People think it's my pen name or my fishing name, and I tell them, honestly, I would pick something a little fishier. Like you got John Montana. He does carp fishing. That's his mom's right. plume, but right, right. No way, it's my real name. Uh huh. And 
no white things everywhere in my house growing up. They're still my dad's house. Yeah. It's loaded with snow white stuff. Paraphernalia. I have a grumpy miners <laughs> fake Disney hockey jersey. Uh-huh. It's got grumpy on the back. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's, I saw that at a thrift store. I'm like, oh, I got that. Yeah, so I'm on there, and then I'm on social media, so you can always see my posts on there. But yeah, Waypoint TV is great. I mean, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, people could get stuck on there for hours and hours. Oh, for sure. I just don't hunt. I'm missing out on all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there on on Waypoint, that's for sure. So what's, uh, you've done, how many episodes have you done on your podcast? 320 something maybe so do you have it a started you, that's in crazy spring, yeah spring of 2010 i think was the first podcast wow man awesome and, yeah. and have, then a couple just didn't make it they got deleted and um, software issues yeah what about um what's your favorite podcast of all time that you've done on, on all those 300 and something podcasts my friend Richard, that had the most downloads. His wife had an event in D.C. I know him through Project Healing Waters. And then he also used to live catacorner to my cousin at the Jersey Shore. And Richard went to high school with my mom. They didn't know each other. He and I just sat down in the Keybridge Marriott across from D.C. And he just told how he drove out to California for the summer of love and stopped in Yellowstone and just fell in love with fly fishing out there. Nice. And he just told trout fishing stories for like two hours. <laughs> One of the most memorable was at the last Project Healing Waters tournament. I got to sit down with Lefty Cray for an hour and 15 minutes, just the two of us at a table under a tent and just I just said, I've got two questions for you. Answer them and then just do what you want. I said, tell me about your big build fishing hat and <laughs> explain how to double haul. And then it just went off on the stories. And the whole time I'm looking at this man's blue eyes that are not like any blue. They're like flat water colored blue. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at his hand because that man had been through a lot. Just age, sun, war. You can always tell, you know, older people by their hands. That's why I wear fishing gloves all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't want sun on my hands. But it was just fascinating hearing his stories uninterrupted, just face to face. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. there have been some other memorable ones that I've done. Have you? A really good one uh, was with Cal Trout, and that didn't get recorded. That was a funny, funny one. With Cal Trout? Yeah, with Jared. Jacob. Oh, interesting. Jared? And it didn't. Yeah. It, it didn't get recorded. It just. It was the first one on the MacBook. Oh, okay. And I was using downloaded software. It didn't work for Pat Cohen, Reba Brinkman. There were several others. And then we would re-record them, and it just it, the funniness wasn't there. Yeah. It would have been great episodes. I think I bought Pat Cohen a bottle of bourbon to apologize for having to re-record. <laughs> have you had any like guiding nightmares? like out on the stream or anything that's, you know, like yeah, uh, so any, any, uh, things you want to share? This woman, we're, we're shad fishing 2021 and it's mother's day and she's my second client. So she comes down the hill 
And my first client's like, all right, here's the rod. It's your turn. And she's casting for 10 minutes. She's hooking fish and she turns around and says, don't judge my casting. I've never done this before. And I ate a whole handful of shrooms before I walked down here. <laughs> I'm like, well, what did that do? I've never done shrooms. So I don't know if she's eating things, if the rod is like oh talking God. to her. Uh-huh. I had one woman book a trip for her dad and husband, and we were going to hike in to the original George Washington Patomac Canal, which is this 300-year-old canal along the river. And then... So we're going to climb down an embankment and we're going to wave fish. And then we got this huge thunderstorm and the only option was to fish a lake. And I get there and this man gets out of the car. He can't walk two or three feet. He barely get into the boat. <laughs> I said, Did this woman not consider that I told her we were walking a mile on a gravel fire road and then climbing down. There's always things you've got to be prepared for that just throw you for a loop. For sure. <laughs> so how, yeah, was, how was she? How was she after that? With those mushrooms? She caught a quillback, which is pretty rare. That uh-huh. weird-looking fish. Uh-huh. It looks like a love child of a small tarpon, a redfish, and a carp. Huh. They're weird-looking. Yeah, she caught one. I was like, well, wow. <laughs> I came home. I'm like, y'all never believe what just happened out there. <laughs> That's awesome. I had one guy show up. Do you need me to bring waders? He's like, no, no, I've got waders. And I get there. He's wearing kayaking waders. <laughs> that are like a full bib with pants and then he's wearing like booties that you would wear in the pool so you don't get pool toe he's wearing those inside his waders so <laughs> yeah. he's got waiter booties on the outside uh-huh. and I'm like okay <laughs> like, I have real no, no I insist <laughs> like I've got my shoes on the inside is that correct I'm like no <laughs> yeah I've seen a few of those kind of things too myself that's pretty funny yeah well, I know you're into music, and so and we we talked about this too. But uh, you know what what have you been listening to? I usually end my podcast with people talking about music and what they like and that sort of thing. So, what have you been listening to lately? Usually, a lot of classic rock. My girlfriend's a professional musician, and she's got her dad's albums. So we listen to a lot of Dead on Vinyl. Mm-hmm. He's a, a lot of Bonnie Raitt, Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a real eclectic record collection and she still plays CDs and tapes, which is amazing. I listened to some jam bands. I'm missing Trey and goose tonight. They're playing down the street at George Mason university. Uh huh. So I went to see fish this summer and bumped into my buddy, Misty, who's a Seer guy from India. We had a good time. We're not into the music, but our ladies are. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm not going to pay a hundred. Is it fish? fish the band. Yeah. Yeah. Fish the band. Yeah. So Trey's playing down the street with his band goose. That's new on the jam band scene, but I'm not really into that. I listened to a lot of Sarah Barella. I don't think my girlfriend likes that. I think she gets jealous, but my girlfriend loves John Mayer. <laughs> she uses his clothing <laughs> detergent. So she smells like John Mayer. <laughs> How funny. Uh, and I know you were to Scott. There's a band from Montreal called Bedouin Sound Clash. I listen to them a lot. What, like, what, I've never gotten tired of their music. What What is it called? Bedouin Sound Clash. Bedouin Sound Clash. I've got to write that down. So I, I think they went to McGill University. I'm not sure. Bedouin Sound Clash. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, I grew up with Dave Matthews. That was a huge influence with the whole, kind of my whole music scene. My brother went to UVA and probably October freshman year was like telling me I need to come down to see this band with this guy named David Matthews. They played Tuesday nights at this bar and my brother would roadie for them and tape all the shows. And then he came home for Thanksgiving in 93 with Remember Two Things and my parents let him play it. My parents, when they had their house built in 84, had speakers wired throughout the entire house and outside. So there's always music playing growing up. Yeah. And he put the Dave Matthews band on and everyone just stopped eating Thanksgiving dinner. I was like, wow. Who's this? This doesn't sound like anything you guys have listened to before. And yeah, we were big in the Dave Matthews. My brother ended up working for them. So I got to go, you know, travel, see them in New York. What a great them. band. Oh my God. Yeah, I saw them with, Blanking on his name, Sex Machine. Oh, okay. Did they What's ever, his name? Did they play with? Yeah, uh, he came out and jammed with them. Oh, um, right on. I want to Ray Charles, but I'm blanking now. Ray Charles is the team player. It's James so, Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah, James Brown. He came out and played with them? Played. Yeah. Sweet. Sex Machine. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a, a type of music from DC called Go Go. Okay. And it's very high on percussion and bongos. And some people might knew, know it from uh, the movie with Spike Lee in about 89. They had EU play, school ties. But there's a local band called Virginia Coalition, and they played Southern Rock with DC Go-Go. And that's pretty unique. Virginia what Coalition. Are... Okay, cool. Also known as Baco for short. If you go to archive.org, there's a bunch of really good soundboards. Uh-huh. And I only do soundboards. I can't do audience recordings. I listen yeah. to a lot of live music. I don't want to hear people chatting or yeah. dropping things. I want that clean, balanced soundboard. So you said Virginia Coalition plays bluegrass with Go- DC Go-Go. Yeah, or like local, like Southern Rock. Southern Rock Go-Go. DC Go-Go. Yeah, so the godfather of DC Go-Go was Chuck Brown. He died five years ago. And... If someone wants to look up a really eclectic album, it's Chuck Brown and Ava Cassidy. Ava Cassidy was a young woman who was a local singer, and somebody in England or Scotland saw a grainy YouTube, no, before YouTube, VHS tape of her. And they started playing her in England, and she got really big. And then being a DC native, she and Chuck Brown collaborated. And then she got cancer in like 97 and died really young. It was her Somewhere Over the Rainbow, Ava mm. Cassidy. Okay. And yeah, Chuck Brown and her, we'll put that up on YouTube. Yeah. Chuck Brown and, and I've got Ava my turtle box, so I can always blast music from that all around the house. And then Alexa's always playing. So there's always, it's never quiet here. What's your, uh, what's your all time? favorite band if you could just listen to one last band that's a hard one Jack what was it I've listened to the Jacko Pierce J-A-C-K-O P-I-E-R-C-E uh-huh. I've listened to their Bringing on the Weather album more than anything else Jacko Pierce I mean yeah if you could get like Pigpen and Brent back with the dead you know and Jerry uh-huh. my god right uh, and Jacko Pierce was just 
something about that music, singer-songwriters, they still play here and there. I drove up. We saw them on Martha's Vineyard wow. about 12 years ago. Yeah, they were all, all country, college rock. Yeah, I, I okay. love Jacko Pierce. Okay. And each Jack O'Neill and Carrie Pierce, they each have their, their own style and own song. So you get a, a nice breakdown of both of them. And their first album, the second album, Bring It On The Weather, it's Carter Beaufort from Dave Matthews Band is playing, like John Elagia. They were just a bunch of people on those albums. Very it may have been the drummer also from Prince may have played on one of their albums. Okay. So that's the name of the band, Jacko Pierce. Yes. Okay. It's not a person. And if anybody watched Melrose Place, Billy had a poster for that album in his room on one episode. Did he? <laughs> I couldn't pause TV. I was like, did you all see that? In college, we watched Melrose Place in the all-girls dorm, and no one, no one saw it. Last question. Yes. If you could fish anywhere in the world, where would you fish? There's so many places exotic that I want to go. Iceland is probably first on the list. I was telling my girlfriend about that the other day. But what I would do to just be stuck in like a small van in Florida for a while. Uh-huh. You can catch everything in Florida. All the Amazonian introductions, uh-huh. all the tarpon, bonefish, uh-huh. sea trout. Just everything's in Florida. Uh-huh. But I'm kind of fascinated by Iceland. I want to do salmon and then brown trout. Sounds amazing. That's where the wife and I had planned to go after lockdown before she became the ex-wife. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> For sure. She ended the marriage the day that guy caught the 30-inch striper. They weren't related. To events, but yeah, I came home all excited to share, like, biggest striped bass you'd ever pulled out of the river and it's like no pack your stuff and get out uh, okay uh, that's funny well rob thanks so much for being on the podcast man i enjoyed being on yours I super enjoyed you being on mine and uh hope to be on yours and another time in the future for sure yeah hopefully we'll do one in person fishing yeah let's go fishing man for sure yeah, I definitely want to get out. I haven't been to California in, I don't know, like 10 years, but you might come out. There's a little more things to do on the East Coast, more reasons to come out. If you yeah. Wanna. yeah, for sure. A lot of different species I need to catch, for sure. Yeah. All right. we'll get, we can always meet in Kansas. <laughs> That's right. All right, bud. Well, thanks, man. Right on. Be All good. Right. Take care, bud. All right.